Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Ship Show. Well, it looks like the U.S. stock market is going to close out the third quarter on a positive note. At least that's the way it looks uh, midday. It's just before 1 o'clock Eastern time when I'm recording this podcast with the Dow Jones up just over 180 points. The catalyst for the rally today is the big rally in Deutsche Bank. Shares are up better than 14%, back above $13 as I'm recording this. They were in danger of going, I think, even below 10 bucks yesterday, we would have been in the single digits. The stock, I think, was down over 8% as it slows yesterday. I think it closed down about 6%. People were worried. There were rumors that hedge funds were getting nervous about maintaining accounts with Deutsche Bank, worried about bail-ins. People were reliving memories of Lehman Brothers all over again. I think that the Obama administration was beginning to get concerned. You know, the Dow was off about 200 points on the close yesterday, down about 250 at one point, when the worries about a contagion spilling over from the European banks into the U.S. banks. And it wasn't good, you know, with all of the hearings on Wells Fargo. And in fact, I'm going to chime in on that 
later in today's podcast. But I think the Obama administration was getting nervous about the possibility of precipitating another financial crisis before the election. And I think they gave a nudge to the Department of Justice, which had been talking about a $14 billion fine on uh, Deutsche Bank. The rumors this morning are that there is ne- they are nearing a settlement with Deutsche Bank for a much lower number, uh, maybe around $5.5 billion, which is actually below the amount, I believe, that Deutsche Bank had set aside to actually settle this. And so from $14 billion down to about $5 billion, this is causing a big rally in the shares of Deutsche Bank. And in fact, that is... Uh, returning confidence to the entire sector. Now, I don't think that this means that the European banks or the American banks, for that matter, are out of the woods. I still think there's a lot of problems in the financials because, as I said uh, recently or on my last podcast, I think they're damned if the Fed raises and damned if they don't. I think uh, negative rates are bad for the banks, but rate hikes are also bad for the banks based on uh, their their balance sheet. So I think there's still a lot of problems percolating beneath the surface for the financials. But as far as the Obama administration is concerned, the key is to get everything through the next election without a crisis. And so I think that having the Department of Justice settle with Deutsche Bank for a much smaller number. You know, that $14 billion fine was very close to what the Europeans were looking to fine Apple, right? That was uh, kind of like a tit for tat. Well, you're going to fine Apple $14 billion. Well, we're going to come after Deutsche Bank by a similar amount. But I think uh, the Department of Justice is more concerned about the elections than about the symbolism with respect to the fine. And so coming to an agreeable solution with Deutsche Bank that is much lower than what maybe the markets had feared, I think more serves the administration's purpose right now uh, than trying to match that fine. So that's where the rally is coming from today. And of course, the traders like to paint the tape a little bit going into the end of the quarter Although it's not just the markets that had a strong quarter, oil prices, as I'm talking here, uh, crude oil is back above $48 a barrel. Earlier in the week, we have some kind of agreement among OPEC nations for production cuts. And while that might be good for oil stocks, it's not going to be good for the U.S. consumer uh, who is already struggling. In fact, we did get a mixed bag on economic numbers out today. But the one that was a disappointing number was consumer spending, which for the month of August was flat. The anticipation was for an increase of two-tenths of a percent. Personal income did manage uh, to meet expectations with a 0.2% increase, but that was about half the increase we got in the prior month. But uh, spending went down from up 0.4, which actually was upwardly revised from uh, the original up 0.3, to flat, again, below the expectations uh, that Wall Street was, was looking for. But higher energy prices, gas prices at the pump, are simply going to eat into that consumer spending number. And I think it's also going to make the inflation numbers worse which for some reason people think is good news because they think higher inflation is what the Fed wants. Remember, 
I've said that's the last thing the Fed wants because the low official inflation numbers are providing cover for the Fed to keep rates low, which keeps the uh, financial bubbles inflated and keeps the government in the borrowing and spending game. But as we start to get increases in energy prices, then you know the headline number is going to start to move up because the core number has already been moving up. And speaking about uh, the consumer and GDP, we did get a revision, upward revision to the Q2 estimate. We're now at 1.4% for GDP growth for the second quarter. But today, the Atlanta Fed has already now downwardly revised its ever-falling uh, estimate. It's kind of like a GDP limbo at this point for third quarter GDP. About a month ago, the Atlanta Fed was all the way up at 3.8% for their official estimate for Q3. And as of Friday afternoon, they're now down to 2.4%. In fact, they last lowered it to 2.8 a couple of days ago, and that was lower 2.9, 3.0. It's been a steady march lower since that 3.8%. If you remember, I said initially that they were just crazy with that 3.8% number, that they were probably smoking something that may or may not be legal to smoke now in, in, in their states uh, or Atlanta. I don't know where Atlanta is on the, the mer- medical marijuana or legalization issue. But I said something was going on for these guys to have 3.8%. And now they're down at 2.4, but that's still not low enough. I think they're going to have to get below 2%. I'm not sure when we get the first look, official look at third quarter GDP numbers. It will be before uh, the election, that's for sure. So we'll see what the number is, but whatever it is, they'll probably revise it lower after the election. But clearly the number is much lower than it was when Janet Yellen came out and said the case for rate a rate hike Uh, was strengthening clearly uh, with these GDP numbers being rapidly adjusted southward. If the case was strengthening before, it is weakening now. Again, I think that when we finally get the number on Q3, it will be below 2%. And I do believe that it's going to be the high watermark for the the year. So it'll probably be higher than the 1.4% we got from Q2. Remember, we're still sub 1%. I think it was 0.9 in Q1. I think we could be below 1% again when we finish the quarter uh, in Q4. So we could bookend uh, two weak GDP numbers with sub 1% GDP numbers going into Q1 for next year, 2017. But 2017 should certainly be a recession year officially. Again, I still think that after the election, we could get some official downward revisions to prior GDP numbers that would officially date the beginning of this recession to sometime in 2016. But the last thing the government wants to do is acknowledge that fact before the election, because the whole only hope that Hillary Clinton has of actually pulling out the win and maintaining the status quo is if enough voters believe that the economy is still in recovery, even if it's not. And in fact, even if a lot of voters know in their pocketbooks and in their minds that there's no recovery, which is why a lot of them will pull the lever for Trump or uh, Gary Johnson or maybe even Jill Stein, because they know that things are bad and they 
you know, they want change. And so they're going to vote for some type of change, because as much as people want to pretend that Hillary Clinton is some kind of change maker, she represents a vote for the status quo. And clearly the status quo wants to maintain the official illusion anyway of some kind of recovery between now and the election in November. So they surely want to maintain the the illusion of GDP growth and don't want to come out with any big downward revisions until after the election. In fact, again, as I said, contrary to what Donald Trump is alleging, I don't believe that the Fed has got rate hikes up their sleeves and they're ready uh, to raise rates as soon as Obama uh, is out of office and playing golf. I think, if anything, they're ready to cut rates and actually bring them negative uh, once uh, Obama is permanently on the golf course. Because I think regardless of who wins the next election, the Fed is going to drop the pretense of recovery And therefore, they no longer have a reason not to do what they want to do anyway, which is more stimulus, at least in their mind, what's stimulus, but in reality is a sedative. But they want to cut rates. They want to do QE4. And I think if Donald Trump wins, that is a perfect excuse for them to blame all the chaos on the mistake that the voters made of you know, electing Trump and maybe the markets could tank on a Trump victory. And again, this certainly gives the Federal Reserve cover to now say, well, you know, everything was going great. And now we've, you know, we elected Trump. And so it's a disaster. And so now, you know, we have to abandon all these rate hikes that we were going to do. And now we have to do uh, more stimulus. We have to counteract the damage now of this Trump victory. So we need uh, cheaper, lower interest rates, more uh, Fed stimulus. We need to go negative. We need to go for QE4. But I want to spend the rest of this podcast really talking about the disgraceful way with which the uh, senators and the congressmen have been grilling the the executives, uh, the CEO of Wells Fargo, and have really been using uh, this whole situation over there to grandstand to their constituents Uh, As if what happened at Wells Fargo is such a horrible uh, event and that now we need huge congressional action. In fact, Maxine Waters is talking about how, you know, we need to break up Wells Fargo. It's simply too big and the bank needs to be broken up. And certainly on the Senate side, you had Elizabeth Warren probably given Wells Fargo uh, probably uh, the most uh, in, a, in a way of a verbal shellacking. You know, if you never saw any of my congressional testimony, go on YouTube and, and look at, you know, Mr. Schiff goes to Washington. That was the first time I testified in 2011. And then the second and final time I testified was in 2012. But if you see the way I speak to these guys, you'll know why they're never invite me <laughs> to testify before Congress again. In fact, I was surprised after the first time they even had me a second time, I guess. In fact, the guy who invited me got fired. Uh, And so uh, that really shows you the danger of having Peter Schiff testify. But that's because I don't treat these guys with the respect that everybody else treats them with. I treat them with a lot of contempt uh, and because that's what they deserve. But, you know, they bring these CEOs up there and they just really, you know, lay into them. But 
And, and again, I'm not going to condone the actions at Wells Fargo. I mean, obviously, what happened there uh, was a mistake. It was wrong and needs to be corrected. But, you know, we don't need Congress to do it because, I mean, there you've got the pot calling the kettle black because Congress is worried about a couple of million dollars in excess fees that were charged to uh, Wells Fargo customers. And, you know, this is going to be dealt with in the marketplace. I don't think this is something that requires big congressional action. In fact, they've already been fined an enormous amount of money uh, for for this having been done. I mean, the fines are way out of proportion already to the actual losses from Wells Fargo customers. But, you know, Wells Fargo needs to deal with this in the marketplace. I mean, there is competition. Nobody forces people to have accounts at Wells Fargo. And if uh, Wells Fargo's depositors are not satisfied with uh, what happens, then they're free to open up accounts with Bank of America or any one of a number of Wells Fargo competitors. And so we don't need Congress reacting the way it is. The irony, though, is that Congress has stolen more from your typical Wells Fargo customer uh, in the last month than Wells Fargo has in its 160-year history. I mean, they make a big deal about, you know, a Wells Fargo account getting hit with some extra fees for maybe a credit card or a line of credit that they really didn't ask for. But what's really clobbering Wells Fargo is not the fees that the banks are charging, but what about all the taxes that Congress is passing? Or what about all the inflation? What about the 0% interest rates? You know, what should really upset Wells Fargo customers is the fact that they're getting 0% interest rates on their accounts. I mean, why don't they yell at the Federal Reserve or why don't they yell at themselves for putting the Federal Reserve in a predicament where interest rates are now at zero? Because that's what Wells Fargo uh, depositors need to be up in arms about, not the fact that they might have gotten fined or, or might have had to pay an extra fee on an account that they really didn't want to open or a line of credit that they really didn't want to take out. The real losses are coming from the 0% interest rates. They're coming from inflation, which is eroding the value of their deposits. Where is that inflation coming from? It's coming from the big deficits that Congress is voting for and the fact that the Fed is now monetizing those deficits. That is where depositors get, are getting robbed blind. It's from Congress and from the Fed, not from some of these uh, overly jealous uh, uh, Wells Fargo employees who in, you know, they wanted to earn a little bit more money. And so they cut some corners. And so they opened up some accounts that uh, Wells Fargo customers had not, in fact, uh, agreed to. And again, I'm not excusing that behavior. That behavior needs to be dealt with. In fact, many, many people at Wells Fargo did, in fact, lose their jobs and let the board of directors decide whether or not heads should roll higher up, whether or not, you know, some of these bigger people should be clawing back their bonuses. You know, what difference does it make? I mean, you've got Congress up there. They're, they're upset that some of these, uh, you know, higher up guys, uh, including the CEO, you know, maybe they're not going to be held accountable and they're going to get paid too much. Let the board decide, let the shareholders decide whether or not they want to dock the pay or, 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 or fire some of these higher guys. What difference does it make to Congress how Wells Fargo shareholders decide to compensate uh, their executives? Let them decide if, if this warrants pay cuts, uh, clawbacks, 
layoffs. These are not decisions that need to be made at the congressional level. You know, I wish that we completely got Congress out of the banking system. Let's get rid of the guaranteed deposits. Let's get rid of the FDIC so that Wells Fargo can no longer rely on a government guarantee. Let's make Wells Fargo compete for customers based on the credit quality of their bank, not based on the crutch of a government guarantee. I mean, if the government is upset at the way Wells Fargo operates, how about let's just getting rid of all these guaranteed bank accounts? That's what I would be in favor of. Let's let banks compete for deposits based on how safe the institutions are. Don't let everybody rely on a government insurance so that now the banks can go out there and take all kinds of crazy risks. But, you know, those are the crazy risks. Those crazy risks, that's what Congress wants them to do. They want them to fund all kinds of nonsense. They want them making loans to people who can't pay it back because a lot of those borrowers Uh, They want their votes. And so they want banks extending credit recklessly so we can keep on borrowing and keep on spending. And the air doesn't come out of this gigantic bubble economy. But, you know, you can cut this hypocrisy with a knife when you, you, you see the executives up there taking a task by these congressmen, these irate congressmen who are so upset at the way Wells Fargo is treating the depositors when Congress is already treating the depositors far worse, and it's the government and the Federal Reserve that are really the enemy of bank depositors, not Wells Fargo or you know some of these uh, workers who got too aggressive. And maybe, look, did some of the higher-ups know that this was going on? You know, I tend to doubt it. But who knows? Maybe they did. I don't know. But if they did, these things need to be settled from the shareholders and the board of directors, not a bunch of bureaucrats in Capitol Hill who really don't have clean hands here, who are really the biggest hypocrites out there who do far more damage, again, to Wells Fargo. But this is something, here's another point that nobody is making, and I'm going to make it here, which is why you listen to the the Peter Schiff podcast, because you're not going to hear this perspective really from anybody else other than, than me. But one of the ways that the, you know, the Elizabeth Warrens are attacking Wells Fargo is they're saying, you know, you pay your workers such a small amount of money. You know, these guys are barely above the poverty level. They're earning 25, 30, 35,000 a year, right? And, and so they're, you're giving them these starvation wages. And so now you dangle these incentives in front of them, and they're so desperate for money that we can't really, you know, uh, we can forgive them. We can't blame them for cheating or lying to, you know, to get these extra sales because, you know, they need to put food on their family's table. So it's your own fault. You know, it's because you're paying your workers these starvation slave wages. If you paid them a decent amount of money, then they wouldn't need to steal. And so it's really not the worker's fault. They had no choice. It's management for just not paying workers enough money. I mean, I mean, this is the epitome because, you know, management did try to incentivize these workers to earn more money by putting them on some type of a condition based payment system, which apparently now they're going to abandon. Right now, there's nothing wrong. I run a sales force. You know, Euro Pacific Capital is a brokerage firm. Brokers get commission. Uh, I get my salesman at Shift Gold 
get paid commission. I mean, and I'm not unique. I mean, everybody, you go buy a car. The guy that sold you the car got a commission. You know, you get a phone call from a guy trying to sell you something. He's getting paid commission. If he wasn't getting paid commission, he wouldn't be calling you, right? I mean, that's the whole idea. You want to incentivize your sales force to try to sell your products. And that's what Wells Fargo was doing. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with paying for performance. Wells Fargo salesmen were cross-selling Wells Fargo products. They were calling up customers, trying to get them to open up other accounts. You know, Wells Fargo also has brokerage division. There are brokers that work at Wells Fargo that sell mutual funds and stocks and bonds. And I'm sure they were trying to cross-sell there and trying to call up their guys that have a checking account or a savings account and get them into other products. I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. And that enabled these guys to earn more money, right? You have a lower salary, but now you can augment your salary with bonuses or commissions based on generating more profits for Wells Fargo Bank and for the shareholders. So this was the way, you know, you have Hillary Clinton out there talking about, hey, we want workers to share in the profits. Well, this is how they do it, through commission-based compensation. If they just get a flat salary, obviously there's no variable there. But if you incentivize your employee to help contribute more, to do some extra effort, then they can get a bonus or a commission. And in a way, that's like a profit share. In fact, it's better than a profit share because there's no loss right you don't have to you know give back some of your salary if the company loses money but if you help generate more sales then you're going to earn more money but because of all this congressional pressure because you had some bad apples that spoiled it for everybody else remember you know the vast majority of wells fargo employees didn't engage in this behavior right and in fact, now some of the ones who did get fired because they weren't doing a good job, now the government has given them cover to sue. Now you got all kinds of lawsuits and class action lawsuits against Wells Fargo. And so what Wells Fargo is going to do now, and they've already announced this, is they're going to suspend all of these uh, performance-based uh, pay incentives. And so you know what that means? That means that these low salaries that Congress is so upset about, they're going to stay low. Because if they can't find a way to reward people who do a better job productive-wise, well, then there's no way uh, for anybody to to earn more money. Everybody's going to be stuck because they can no longer provide the added incentives for these people to generate additional revenue. But it actually gets worse because, you know, if Wells Fargo can't incentivize its uh, employees to try to upsell and cross-sell because some people might game the system, some unscrupulous employees. And here, you know, you have the employees, the workers, right? You know, they're, they're the bad actors here. And of course, you know, but Congress, so they never want to blame the worker, right? They just want to blame the higher workers. You know, one of the people who uh, got a big salary was a female, right? She was a female executive at Wells Fargo who was making millions of dollars a year, right? You would think some of these women would be glad that this woman broke through the glass ceiling and was making all this money, but no, they wanted to give it all back because they just assumed that she knew about this. In fact, they're talking about criminal prosecution for uh, the CEO. How about cr criminal prosecution for the actual workers who actually stole the money, not the CEO who you think should have known better? What about the people that actually committed the crimes? I mean, should they go to jail? Because if anybody's going to go to jail, they should. Because certainly if 
the, the thief doesn't go to jail, then the higher up guy who supposedly looked the other way, then he shouldn't go to jail. You definitely have to have the criminal behavior on the ground floor before you can have the accountability move up. So if you want criminal prosecution for the CEO, then we need pr- criminal prosecution for every single Wells Fargo worker who opened up fake accounts. Because if they're not criminally liable, then how can the boss be? Because if you're going to take this vicarious liability up the food chain, then the liability has to start at the bottom. And so why not go after them? But of course, that's not politically popular to to say that we should jail the workers. But it's great to say, hey, let's throw the, the CEO in jail. This is not Uh, good for American business to try to beat people up like this. But I want to get back to what I was just talking about here on Wells Fargo. So if you tell Wells Fargo, hey, we don't want you incentivizing your sales force, the people that are on the phone with customers to cross sell or open new products, you know, we just want them to be robots, then you know what? They might be robots. And I think what Wells Fargo is going to start doing now to kind of cover their butts, and since they can no longer really incentivize their people to sell, then why not actually have robots? Why not automate? All this stuff can be done with robo-advisors, robo-tellers. If you're not going to really sell, you could just have a computerized voice. You don't even need all these workers. I mean, one of the main reasons that you have a human being is because the human being can actually sell. The human being might be better at explaining things and interacting. And, you know, there's a, being a salesman is a skill and being able to convince people to do things and act. I mean, there is some added value there. But now if Wells Fargo says, okay, yes, because Congress is jumping all over us because a few people abuse this, we're going to take it away. We're not going to have any sales. We're not going to have any incentives. Then why even have any human beings? So why not fire a bunch of workers and then not pay anything? Because you just have, uh, you know, voicemail systems and, and robocalls and robo-advisors. And this is simply going to accelerate that push. So here you have, you know, Maxine Waters, uh, you know, uh, yelling at these guys or Elizabeth Warren, you're not paying your workers enough. Well, great. Now they're not going to pay them anything because they're going to fire them because this is the only way uh, to really comply with the new government regulations. And who knows, this is probably going to result in all sorts of new consumer protections and regulations way out of proportion to anything that these Wells Fargo representatives may have taken. I think they're saying it was only about $2 million bucks. So the actual amount of money stolen, allegedly stolen, which Wells Fargo customers are going to recover anyway uh, through litigation or through concessions. I'm sure Wells Fargo public relations is going to have to go back and refund to people, you know, you know, any money that they was charged. I mean, everybody's going to get that back. But the what's going to happen is Wells Fargo customers and all customers of all banks all around the country are going to lose much more because Congress is going to overreact and they're going to layer the industry with all sorts of additional regulations that are going to cost a fortune. And guess what? The cost of complying with all those extra regulations is going to have to be pushed onto the consumer who's going to end up losing a lot more because of the way the government responded to this crime than was actually stolen in the crime itself. And, of course, a lot of these big regulations will be so onerous that a lot of the smaller financial institutions will end up folding, going out of business, 
and Wells Fargo will actually benefit in that as a result of the extra regulation that comes about as a result of wrongdoing at Wells Fargo, smaller companies that did nothing wrong will go bankrupt, and now Wells Fargo will have less competition and will be able to make even more money with fewer employees. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail, silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shiftsilver.com.